It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 255, Herod the Builder. Upon Octavian's defeat of Mark Antony, the new king in Jerusalem goes to see the victor. In convincing manner, King Herod of Jerusalem bows before Octavian and beseeches his favor to continue his rule in Jerusalem. Octavian's response is bestowing even greater honor and blessing and expanding Herod's authority over Gaza. With great wealth from favorable business dealings with the Romans, including half of the mining rights to copper mines in Cyprus as bestowed by Octavian, trans-shipping taxes, and despicable tax collection policies. Also, if you believe a snippet from Josephus, King Herod had discovered treasures under the Temple Mount that were once David's. But with all of these riches, Herod embarks on an unreal building campaign. And I say unreal because the breadth of the building campaign is quite extensive. He builds a palace called Herodium, south of Jerusalem, and another dozen fortresses throughout his kingdom. He built a massive bathhouse in Jericho. He puts a Roman bath at the hilltop fortress at Masada. He built aqueducts, temples to Roman gods, a massive naval port at Caesarea, which is staggering in its conception and design. You can see the ruins of the port today, before we get to the Temple Mount, Herod served as president in the Olympic Games. He loved the Games, and he was a high-paying patron of it for years, believe it or not. In addition, he embellished other cities like Rhodes and Beirut. He was a true builder. There's even historical accounts that say that he actually held back his true Hellenistic desire to build more in Israel. In 20 BC, he turned toward the Temple Mount and Solomon's Temple. First, he terraformed Jerusalem, turning it into a version of a city on a hill. He literally leveled and resized parts of the city, terraforming the appearance of Jerusalem to appear like a rising masterpiece. He built a few fortresses and additional palaces in Jerusalem. He directed all the waterways with pools and baths. And when you consider the stories from it, such as the, the miracle at the pool of Bethesda, it was Herod who built this pool and, and the other pools. The Temple Mount is a masterpiece in design, and it'll take 46 years to complete it per John 2. It actually won't be completed fully until after Jesus visits it at his birth, and then when he's 12, and it's still under construction at that time. The temple itself was the easier part. It only took about a year and a half to complete all the specifics outlined by Solomon. But the entire complex would take decades to build. The endless colonnades would stretch 840 feet to the south, 945 feet long on the north, 1,410 feet long on the east, and 1,455 feet long on the west. The vast internal section inside the colonnades was called the Court of the Gentiles. And this section would be football and football field size. The Jews would only pass through this section because they didn't want to really be seen much in the court of the Gentiles. It wasn't their place. They wanted to go to the, to the temple mount, to the, to the true center where the temple was. Now, the inner temple 
only really the priest could go, or the outer court of it is where the, the men could go, but there was another section of it on the front part, uh, which was actually called the court of women, and that's where a lot of the women would be, or the, uh, a lot of center of study would be in that area as well. In this court of the Gentiles is where you would see um, Jesus throw down the money tables. In the center of the court of the Gentiles would be the temple and the court of women and a great wall surrounding it. The wall surrounding it was called a stone balustrade. And upon this balustrade, there would be signs stating that Gentiles, non-Jews, are not allowed by punishment of death. And it was known that Herod gave the Jews the ability to put to death anyone who was not a Jew that went into this area. Now, it wasn't there. The Romans didn't really give the Jews the ability to have the death penalty, but this was one of those exceptions. Within the balustrade was two sections. Uh, the temple complex, um, which would be as according to Solomon, but in the front part, I'm, I'm going to call it a pre-temple complex, which was where more of the Jews could, to, could go. Um, and, and even, they call it the court of women, because women couldn't go past a certain point to get into the outer court. So they could, they could stay in the pre-complex part. And the walled first section, this part was called the court of women, and it was the extent that women could go, and even children, I believe. Typically, this was a place of debate or teaching with lots going on. And this is where Jesus would be when he was left in Jerusalem at the age of 12, and he debates with scribes and teachers of the law. The men would go further, in advancing into the outer court of the temple area where sacrifices would occur. The next section would be the sanctuary and eventually the Holy of Holies as divided by the veil. So what I find interesting is how we have little accounts of the opening of the temple. I, I'm sure there was a great grand opening, but uh, there was no manifestations. You know, there, there's no, um, there was no grand opening of the temple as in the time of Solomon when God himself sends fire down on a sacrifice. There was no mass repentance as in the time of the second temple. Oh, sure, there was probably some grand physical spectacle and, and a tremendous number of sacrifices, but i got to dig those out in the history books just to find them. There's no great revelatory thing that happens to bring heaven down. Instead, we see a mechanical religious exercise that accelerates in Jerusalem. And it's good that their, their sacrifices are occurring uh, because there was no other alternative to cover sins. But it becomes a mechanical religious exercise that accelerates in Jerusalem. At the same time, we have a fully functioning priesthood that is weary for its life, forced to balance the needs of King Herod and his Roman overlords. While Herod builds magnificent buildings and reinstitutes much of the sacrifices and grandeur to Jerusalem, he's as bloodthirsty and as insecure as any ruler in history. According to Josephus, he had 2,000 soldiers in his bodyguard, and the, the soldiers were as far away as Thracia, Gaul, and Germania. Let's just say he paid really well, but he expected ruthlessness from them. Any threats to his rule were not tolerated, and I mean not tolerated. Let's just say his mental stability was actually truly in question. Fear of loss of power truly starts to consume him, and this endless drama explains the madman that will murder all the babies in Bethlehem later. 
And but before we get to his dark side, uh, which we'll we'll touch on in another episode, let's cover the peculiar balance that he that he has to strike in Jerusalem as he rules. And here's a pretty good summary of the complexity of the man and his rule. And I pull it from the book Jesus and His Times. It's actually Reader's Digest from 1973. I have no idea where I got it, uh, but I really enjoy its description of Herod's legacy. Herod was a uniquely textured individual, colored by all the cultural threads that came together in his land. He could play a dozen roles a day and did, Yet, for all his chameleon flexibility, he was no hypocrite. All the roles he played were integral to himself. He was at once a Jew, an Idumean, a Roman, a Greek, a ruthless conqueror, a benevolent tyrant, a faithful subject, and a canny competitor. He proved himself capable of mass executions and cruel murder, but he destroyed none of the powerful institutions that pulled against one another in his kingdom. Rather, he balanced each stress with another, creating a tense web with himself at the center, and by his political skill he maintained a coalition of sorts among desperate regions and desperate populations. But the fine-tuning that was the mark of his long reign became the curse of his legacy. No one else was capable of maintaining the balance he had struck in Judea. Even Herod himself began to lose control in the closing years of his reign, and once the overstrained threads of the web began to snap, the entire construct was doomed. And I think that summarizes uh, well um, the extreme complexities um, that are going on. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, I have purposely tried to stay away from the murderous craziness of Herod. Um, instead, we focus on his building campaigns with some balance for no one to think we actually admire him too much. The, the only thing to really admire about Herod was his building zeal and his tremendous investment in architecture. And build he did. Now think with me. If you're hosting the Olympic Games in your city, you'd be thinking for the next many years to build massive wonders and infrastructure projects. Well, Jerusalem wasn't hosting the Games, but they were hosting someone. Who was he preparing for? And I beg to say, he didn't know it but he was beautifying Jerusalem for a visitor. A future visitor, or should I say it's king. I find it interesting when Jesus shows, Jerusalem is all cleaned up. The temple is working, and the sacrifices are all growing strong. Pools and baths are in operation. The streets are clean, and the walls were fresh and polished. And when Jesus rode in Jerusalem, the people were proud of their beautiful city, and the backdrop of the world's greatest drama was set. Ask any movie producer, if you were to make a movie, you would spend considerable time to make sure the scene and the location and everything about the backdrop was presentation clean, fresh, and ready for shooting. When Jesus steps his feet on Jerusalem, it's been ongoing a 46-year beautification program preparing for the greatest story ever told. Herod, one of the worst villains of all time, was possibly one of the best set designers in world history. For Jesus would walk and teach the greatest parables, perform the greatest miracles, and offer his life for you and me upon the very stones and walls and temple mount built by Herod. And if you want to call him the great, like so many history students do, do it only for the sake of architecture.
or the backdrop that he built. And that's why we've called this episode Herod the Builder. The Greeks have introduced to the world um, new levels of philosophy um, and freedom. The Romans' infrastructure, um, roads. Now Herod has set the physical scene in Jerusalem. In the next episode, we'll cover what village life was like, what it was like for the youth, the people, the, the children of Israel as they're growing up, how they learn the law, synagogue system, and how the, the kind of the, the mix of the Hellenistic culture and the Hebrew culture now, um, and the raising of children, and how they apply these things to their life, and how they um, are learn the Torah. And we'll go over that in the next episode um, as we set the scene for the birth of Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.